chapter 9, verse 6 through 15. If you would, please follow the reading of the word of the Lord. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad and gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contributions to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, help us to hear. Lord, as we look at this, open our souls to it. Father, I pray that as the Corinthians had reestablished their relationship with the Apostle Paul, and Father, we're sowing bountifully. And Father, we who have a relationship with you would sow bountifully. Help us, Father, to have ears to hear. Help us to be cheerful in our giving. Help us not to be grudging about it. Help us not to be under compulsion about it. And help us to give in a manner worthy of this amazing gift to your praise and glory. Amen. Well, those of you who have been with us for a while realize that on May the 5th, 2013, we started this text, chapters 8 and 9. And I have got to say, I am impressed that you endured. Uh, I had some people saying, you teach for a year on giving, you will have a church full of crickets. And I am tickled to death that you made it. I'm proud of you. You have endured greatly over uh, the testing of your faith. (laughs) I'm in this last section of this text on giving. And that is, I don't care who who you are, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, you can't get around it. I've heard people try to tell me, well, this has to do with giving of your time. And I will smile at them and love on them and say, have you not read? Well, it has to do with, you know, the the, the giving of, of spiritual things. And I will lovingly hold them and say, have you not read? Okay, cursory reading. Read eight and nine. You tell me what it's talking about. Okay, it ain't got nothing to do with spiritual. It ain't got nothing to do with, well, I'm donating my time. Ain't got nothing to do with it. 
And this section that we are in right now, verses 6 through, the statement is made in verse 6, and then it's explained in 7 through the end of the chapter. It says, if you sow sparingly, what? You reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Okay? Self-evident truth. He could have stopped right there. He didn't have to go any farther than that. But what he wanted to show you is, you know, I've heard it described uh, this way. The benefits of God. Okay. I look at it as the prosperity of God. God says, you want to have more? Give more. Okay. Now, I, I know that doesn't make a lick of sense. But Malachi tells us, test him. See if it works. Okay. Because in verse 8, it says, God is able. (laughs) God is able. And we all say, well, yeah, but you no, God is able. Why? Because it comes out of verse 7. Verse 7 says, this is a special affection from God, from a believer who gives cheerfully. He's already laid it out in chapter 8 that, you know what? The Macedonians were giving Graciously, they were giving sacrificially. And not only that, they were begging to give more. Has anybody ever gone to church saying, Today I beg to give more? The Macedonians did. Why? Because there is a special love that God has for that type of a giver. Okay? But you also seen in verses 8 and and through first part of 11, there was generosity from God. Why? Well, I mean, you can just read verse 8. He is able. What is he able to do? Make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. What? The God of infinite grace will make grace abound to you so that you will always have all sufficiency in everything and an abundance for what? Every good deed. That's amazing. Why? He wants to lavishly pour it out on you so you will lavishly pour it out on others. Why? Because it brings glory to God. It raises up Praises and thanksgivings to God when the saints are doing this. And God gets the praise. God gets the glory. And it adds to the worship. I have heard worship. I was discussing that this morning in Sunday school. What people call worship and what they're describing. For me, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Okay, because when I think of worship, the first thing I think of is worthiness. Okay, I mean, that's where it starts. We worship all kinds of weird things. I mean, let's be realistic. All right. But when it comes to the worship of God, do you really realize what you're saying? And yet I hear things described as worship today that I'm like, I don't even know where you come up with that from. But when I see people who give with a cheerful attitude, sacrificially and generously, because God has led them that way, and then God abundantly lavishes more upon them. When I see that happen, 
It's like, wow. Why? Because praises go to God and thanksgiving goes to God. And that is the essence of worship. The essence of worship. Because it also adds in verse 14, friends from God. All of a sudden, it starts moving across all of Christendom, what you guys are doing and what God is doing through this group of people or individuals. And then God says, all of these people now have a yearning to be with you. And all of these people are lifting up holy prayers for you. We have churches. We have 17 daughter churches in Russia right now. We do. Castle Rock Baptist Church has 17 daughter churches in Russia right now that every Sunday morning they pray for us specifically. And the smallest one in Zemimka. I like Zemimka. I don't can't say it right because it doesn't have enough vowels. But everybody says, well, you're supposed to say it. And then they say it. And I say Zemimka. And they say, that's not it. And I was like, Snake City. That's the translation. <laughs> All right. That one there, their Sunday school class is larger than our church. And their town has 100% unemployment. Did you hear what I said? When socialism collapsed, the large socialist farm that was there, and I mean, it's huge, probably 45 or 50 sections. Um, it closed it down. Everybody left. And nobody's working there. And they thank God for us. Which brings me to the fifth and last point. And you guys are all going right on. We don't have to listen to giving anymore. It's a strange verse. Uh, and, it, and it's difficult. Uh, I, I told you guys that sometimes when I am studying scripture, when I'm going to teach through a book or something like that, there's times I come to a section that I think that I need to write it. Okay, sometimes I rewrite the letter so that I get rid of verses and chapters and, and make sure that I ain't getting anything here. But see what I run into something here is that in chapter 10, verse 1, what does he say? What's the first word there? Now. You know what that means, right? I'm changing. <laughs> Which means verse 15 goes with that last section. Okay. And it says this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You're like, well, I don't know what. what how does that work? Um, you know, it's easy for me to say, okay, his indescribable gift. That is about as obvious as the day is long, right? What is God's indescribable gift? What gift is it? Well, it's Christ Jesus. Why? That's an indescribable gift. God so loved the world, he gave. Okay, we're in a context of giving. What's his indescribable gift? He gave his son. All right. And Romans chapter 8, verse 32. 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us. How? Now, see, that's the contrast he's going to give you. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? What things would that be? All things. All things. He gave all that is associated with his son. 
He will freely give all things to us. That is an indescribable gift. Okay, I like the word indescribable in the original language. It means that a human words can't describe it. So it's indescribable. This gift from God. I'm not sure we can even comprehend it on this side of eternity. I really don't. I mean, you've been forgiven. Your sins is as far as the east is from the west. Do you even understand that? That means it's like an Ecuador. I mean, isn't that where the east and the west part? I don't know. But, you know, he's cast them into the deepest of the oceans. I don't know that you and I can ever really get that on this side of eternity. And we can sit and talk about it. We can be philosophical. We can have it theologically mandated. Yes, I understand it completely. No, you don't. I do not know what sinlessness is. I don't know what it is. Everything I've ever known in my entire life has been touched by sin. I don't care what it is. How do I describe that? I don't know. Because I've had people ask me, they said, well, you know, the streets are paved with gold in heaven. And you've got trees that bear different kinds of fruit all the time. What's heaven like? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? It is the complete absence of sin. I don't know what that is. I can't understand that. Complete absence of sin. Nothing can tempt you. There is nothing there to tempt you. I don't know what that is. This indescribable gift is so big, it's so glorious, it's so great, it is failed to be described. Human language can't describe it. But thanks be to God. Why? Verse 8, God is able. Thanks be to God. What? For the undescribable gift. And you know what? When it, the, the phrasing of this text, this verse 15, is almost like it's a benediction. Like a, a closing praise. But how does it fit in what we're talking about? Okay. So that's where I wrestled. But then I seen 10.1. Now. Now means I'm going to say something different. I'm talking a different subject. Now. Something different. So verse 15 goes with it. I believe that this is the final great statement about the benefit of giving. Here's why I say that. In your outline, you'll see there, it says you a likeness to God. God gave what gift? Indescribable. Okay? When you give an indescribable gift, who are you like? An indescribable gift. When we sow bountifully, we receive love from God, generosity of God, glory to God, friends with God, and friends of God, and we have a likeness to God. 
Likeness to God. You are like God when you are generous, sacrificial, and joyful in your giving. What? Can he say that? God's going to strike him dead. When you give generously, that is what this last statement is. See, here is the foundation of Christian giving. Why? You will be like God. God so loved the world, He he gave. God gave Christ. If you want to use the verse 6 text, He sowed Christ. He planted the seed of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus made this statement. If a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth life. God planted a seed, Christ. He buried it in the grave. We're setting our hopes on that here in the next couple of weeks. And it reaped a redeemed humanity. That is an undescribable gift. God buried his son. That's why it is possible for you and I to sow and reap. Listen, if he don't do that, you can't sow and you can't reap. He sowed the seed of his son into the ground. It died and brought forth a redeemed humanity. I'm thinking that that would be sowing bountifully and reaping. Whoa. What do you think? We are like God most when we give voluntarily. Did God? Sacrificially. Well, I'm thinking that, you know, the best. Okay. Joyfully. Wait a minute. I don't know, because he did that. Eli, Eli, Lamas, Sabachthani. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, are, are we sure about that? How, how can I be like that? Well, let me show you some text. I thought you would never ask. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I'm thinking about teaching this book next. I'm thinking about it. I didn't say I'm going to, so if you're hoping for it, don't get too hopeful. I still got 12 years to get through the next two chapters. Therefore, be what? Imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ who loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. When you come to church, is it your passion and desire to give sacrificially? When you can a pastor say that? Don't you kill the church if you tell everybody they got to give sacrificially and generously and joyfully? Yeah, maybe. But if I'm going to be an imitator of God. I'd better be. I'd better be. 
It was God who sent Christ as a sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. How? God gave His Son. He sowed His Son. And look at the harvest. When we are like God, we give the generous gift. We give the sacrificial gift. We give the indescribable gift. And that gift is beyond what is expected. Did you hear what I said? It is beyond what is expected. That is what the generosity of God is like. Now listen, I read that and I am uplifted by it. How about you? And if you're not, I can tell you why not. Because you're sowing sparingly. Therefore, you're not looking like God. And that's not that. I'm convicted. He's shaming me. He's seen my bank account. He's looking at my checkbook. Daggone it. No. I'm just telling you. You want to be an imitator of God? How are you going to do it? Well, I'll just stand around and be holy. Good idea. We give because we do it to see God's prosperity. What is your prosperity? What does your prosperity look like? Okay. Does it look like there's a special love to you from God? Does it look like that there is the generosity of God being lavished upon you? Does it look like that the, what you're doing is bringing thanksgiving and praise and glory unto God? Does it look like you're increasing your sphere of Christian friends because they see that you are sacrificially looking like God? God gave the first gift. And He did it to make it possible for you and I to give. As we give sacrificially, He gave sacrificially. And we are like Him. And we do it with joy. And everybody says, wow, man, I just don't know about that joy thing. Really? Thought you'd never ask. That joy thing. How, how, if I'm giving sacrificially and I'm, you know, I'm, I may not get my Starbucks or instead of eating that great big Chipotle burrito, I may have to settle for a cracker. Let me give you some verses to think about. Have this attitude in yourselves. Philippians 2, verse 5 and following. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Alright, attitude. You know what that is, right? Action of the heart. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? So he could reap a harvest. Well, but you can't really say that that... You know, that was his and God's plan. We needed to be redeemed. They had a plan. And I just can't really say that, you know, 
you know, he, on the cross, Eli, Elias, Lamas, Sabachthani, you know, I, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing that Judas betrayed him and all the rest of it. Well, then I just told you that he took on the veil of humanity. He humbled himself to the point of death, to death on a cross, right? Then try this one. I'm glad you're all sitting down. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Did you get that phrase? For the joy before him. Remember, cheerful giver. For the joy before him. What was the joy before Christ? The cross. So do you see the likeness? If you're giving sacrificially, if you're giving joyfully, if you're giving generously, if you're like the, uh, the Macedonians begging to give more, You're like God. You're like God. So when you look at God's prosperity, you know that there's a special love that comes from God for those who are cheerful giver, who are not doing it grudgingly. When you understand that, then you start seeing the benefits of God's generosity in a moment-by-moment basis in your life. So that He will lavish more upon you so that you can do more. You will see glory go to God, thanksgiving, as you continue to affect more and more people for the things of God. You will also start understanding that you have this great massive group of people who are your friends, who are lifting you up in prayer daily. And your life will look like God. Now, that's the end of two chapters on giving. But there's one question that still needs to be answered. Okay? One question. How did the Corinthians respond? Had some people ask me that. You've been teaching almost a year on giving to this church. How have the saints responded? What did they do with Paul's plea? Did they finish the offering? I shared with you some words in here that uh, he w- they were going to fully supply the needs of the saints. That's what they said they were going to do. Fully supply the needs of the saints. You're talking thousands of people. Taking this offering for Jerusalem saints. Fully supply the needs of the saints. Um, sometime after the writing of this letter. Paul showed up in Corinth. For what was his third visit. 
He told them that he would. He told them he was going to come back a third time. Okay, chapter 12, verse 14. Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden to you. Chapter 13, verse 1. This is the third time I will be coming to you. Okay. So he was going to come back to them. Okay, now. I estimate that when he arrived back the third time, he was there for about three months. Okay, Acts 20. All right, about three months. All right. The first few verses of 20, you'll see that. During the time that he's back there on his third visit, he wrote a letter. Okay, the letter is called Romans. All right. If you go to the letter of Romans in chapter 15, 25 and 26, speaking to the Romans. Remember, he's, he's probably five and a half to six months after the writing of 2 Corinthians. Okay, when he gets back for his third visit, he stays in Corinth for about three months. All right. He says this. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So he tells the Romans he's going to do what? He's going to go to Jerusalem. Because the Macedonians... And who are the Achaeans? It's Corinth. If you look at the Greek peninsula, the northern part is called Macedonia. That's where you had Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi. If you look at Achaia, that's the southern part of the peninsula. There's only one church that we know of in that area, and that was... Corinth. So the time for the Corinthians between the writing of 2 Corinthians and the time he returned to them was about three months. Gives them plenty of time to what? To respond to the letters they had received. And they were pleased. And their response was God glorifying. You know why I know that? Thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Acts 24. Now, after several years, this is what he says, 24 verse 17. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms, gifts of charity, is the literal translation, alms to my Nation and to present an offering. Where did he get it from? The Macedonians and the Achaeans. He'd already told them that they were going to fulfill the needs of thousands of saints. 
And he took an offering that fulfilled the needs of thousands of things. He had even had some Macedonians and Corinthians with him. He took some Gentiles with him to Jerusalem to show the Jewish saints what was going on. Why? They had a good stewardship. He guarded the treasure that God had given him and laid on the hearts of all of these precious saints. They took this massive amount of money to Jerusalem to fulfill the needs of the poor saints in Jerusalem. How did they respond? Empowered by the Holy Spirit? It had an effect. Did it not? See, you got two chapters on giving. That were written by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. It was moved on the spirit of the people by the same Holy Spirit and the saints in Corinth. To the point that they could take care of the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. That has been my prayer for the last year for every one of you. The Spirit of God would move on you. And you'd step up. I praise God. I thank you for hanging in there. Covered in less than a year. So that's not bad. But now. Every single one of you. Or many of you I guess. Are now responsible for what is God's plan for prosperity. You want to see a special love from God. Above and beyond your salvation. A special affection that gives an abundance of grace in everything. That love has to come from a cheerful giver. That love <laughs> that love will be supernaturally empowered that you have absolutely no concern whatsoever in giving it all away. Because you know that he will lavish it back onto you. You know God's generosity. You also know that what when you do it, glory will rise up. The sweet aroma of Christ unto the nostril of God. And people around the world that you will touch with your money. Will give thanks and praise to God for you. That will increase your circle of friends and they will begin praying for you and they will yearn to be with you. And the people will look around and say, they give like God gives. Joyfully, sacrificially, generously. Do you want these? I have one more illustration. Because I don't want you to think that this is just, ah, he's starting to sound like one of them health, wealth, and prosperity dudes. No, not really. Comes out of 1 Kings, chapter 17, beginning at verse 8. Dealing with a man that many of us recall. Elijah, the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, stay there, behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. 
Now, if you know the context of what's going on, there's a national drought, famine. Nothing's growing. Nobody's seen a cloud in years. Okay? He arose. He went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I might drink. Try that today. Your best bet is you're going to get a jar upside the head. Okay? As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Hey, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. What does this monkey want? He shows up in town, and all of a sudden, I'm supposed to give him water, and he wants to eat my biscuits? Really? And she said, as the Lord your God lives. You note that phrase? The Lord who? Your God. The Lord your God lives. I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Because that's it. I've got a little bowl of flour, a little bowl of oil, and we're dead. We don't have anything else. There is a famine. There's a drought. There's nothing happening. And you're trying to get my last biscuit. I'm going to die. We're going to eat this and we're going to die. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourselves and your son. What do you think? When your money gets tight, who do you not give to first? Just a question. Because Elijah is saying, listen, God sent me here. He said, you're going to take care of me. And I suggest that you give to me first. What do you think? You guys ain't sold on it. All right. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. What do you think? The lady stepped up, gave to the Lord first. Why? It's the man of God. 
Right there he is. You going to do that? Let me ask you, because I told you that these two chapters will test your faith. I will ask you a simple question. Will he overfill what you have? Will he make it that you will never want? That's what it says. But as the widow to Elijah and as to verse 6 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, you have to give what you have first. That is an exercise of your faith. God has always provided. See right there? One dollar bill. A one dollar bill. See it? See it? See what it says right there? Do you believe that? I know. You can't read that. In God we trust. You believe that? Guess we'll find out. Read your money. You can't trust him. My money says I can trust him. Do we give it away? That shows that. Shows that I trust God. The widow made him a biscuit. That's a powerful blessing in these two chapters. If you're not blessed by these two chapters, then go back to verse 6. And I can tell you why. It says it right there. You're holding on too tight to it. You're not giving it away. How many have you run into in your life that are chasing blessings? How many have you run into your life who are wanting a special love from God? And they're not willing to give it away. May we stand and may our faith grow and may blessings pour forth on everyone who's willing to step up, give to him first. With a joyful heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but I'm wanting to watch God lavish his blessings upon me in ways that I would have never, ever dreamed. It's awesome stuff, people. Let's pray. Father, to your praise and glory, thank you. Thank you that uh, you do have a special love for a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver, a joyful giver, a generous giver, a sacrificial giver. May we look at our lives and understand the tremendous blessings you've already given each and every one of us. And Father, as we look at our lives, may we also understand, Lord, that you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Father, let us also understand that the true indescribable gift was given first. And now, may it be our heart's passion to be in the likeness of our Savior and our Lord, our Creator. Thank you, Father, for your word. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.